when I shaved my head, it was a cleansing. I fe- it was weird. I didn't yeah. really realize like how you can keep some of your kind of emotional identity in how you look or, or how how like you know your hair length, which is so crazy. But then with the beard thing, because you also hear these stories of hiding when people are have this like long hair in their yeah. face or this long beard or these glasses that are kind of dark but they wear them inside or whatever. There's a case to be made that like, are you, are you hiding from the world? And like, sometimes like, even when I've had a beard, I'm, I, I just wonder, I, it's, I don't have any definitive answers, but how long did that thing take to grow? I started it in March. It's not like that. It just happens. So it's movement. like, my face is like kelp. It grows so fast. Was that at all related to the recording of the album? Did you sort of like go into seclusion, record a record, grow big bushy beard? No, uh, we recorded in December and January and I was shaving regularly. And then <laughs> when I started growing the beard, I was on a climb with my fiance in Africa and I just stopped shaving and I came home and continue not to. Okay, so that is kind of fitting then, right? Like, we <laughs> went out into the mountains of Africa yeah. and I sort of, like, embraced the earth or something yeah, like that. Yeah, totally. And I was also, uh, just for the sake of convenience, of, yeah. I don't want to bring a beard trimmer. That, that kind of goes against that aesthetic of, like, I'm going to go climb a mountain and camp for seven days. How long were you in Africa for? We were there for about two weeks, but we were okay. on the climb for seven days. What spurred that? She's always wanted to climb Mount Kilimanjaro okay. since she was, like... Since she heard the Toto song? Yeah. <laughs> Is Kilimanjaro a lyric in there? Yeah, been... yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rises up like the Kilimanjaro oh. or the Serengeti. It must be hard to rhyme with that. It's a famously rough line in that right. song. Man, they're, just, they're, they're, they're killing it. Yeah, they're killing it's it again. Beautiful. Thank you, Weezer. But uh, she's always wanted to do it. Yeah. And she uh, asked me like when the, the opportunity kind of presented itself for her. And she's like, you want to do this? And I've never had that thrill-seeking part of myself like that's never been part of who i see myself as and, and it's not like you don't get to travel all the time exactly gone a lot and at first i mean i'd have i never really thought like i don't want to do that because i would i would be pretty ashamed of that thought yeah. process and you would feel bad that you didn't oh, do it. you'd yeah. be like on your deathbed and you know yes 50 years absolutely and... so i think it was more like you know like if someone tells you like hey do you want to go do like some like something yeah. that is a dream of like most other people like, you just kind of like be like the answer is absolutely, but I didn't know that in a yeah. way, you know? And so that's kind of how it felt. I didn't have a second thought, but I also was just like, this is going to be wild because I'm going to go do something that I never thought was something I wanted to you do. You never even considered the but, possibility. And then, and then it's now become one of the most important experiences of my life. How so? Um, I mean, other than the facial hair. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, other than that facial hair. First of all, I've never set out to do something so physically hard and then done it. Like, I've set out to do hard things. I, you know, I consider, like, making a record, not particularly easy you know but it's something that's important something i identify myself by something i represent myself with i've never been like i'm gonna go you know even do a marathon or yeah. or, or or work out every day like very low bar for like physical challenges is there a little bit of like subconscious male ego there too if my fiance is able to climb this mountain i want to be able to do that as well i'm probably unfortunately <laughs> i wish there i hope that there's not much of that it's unreasonable to not expect a certain amount of like competition with the people in your lives right right, right. it's it's funny like Actually, I mean, and I don't know if I've just never thought about it, but I've never, ever, ever felt competitive with her. And I don't mean to say that I don't think that that's normal. I think it is. But I think that with her and I, like, you know, she's having this, like, her career right now is incredible and I'm so stoked for her. I'm not patting myself on the back, but it doesn't occur to me that my reaction to that could be anything other than being yeah. her biggest cheerleader. Well, I mean, we're, and, we're sort of dancing around the fact that like, she is somebody who's famous and has yeah. been famous for a very long time, yeah. like since she was younger. So certainly she got a bit of a head start for you in that standpoint. To- oh, totally. And also she's playing a different game. Yeah. It's like, it's just a different sport. She's like a, 
NBA all-star and I am like really into bowling or something. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like I'm not gunning for the same things. Like the ceiling on what I'm doing yeah. is a little lower. We both kind of love that about what we each other do. You know, she's told me in the past not like like oh, you know, it means a lot that you're so supportive and that you're never like weird about like us being in these weird trips or these weird rooms or the because of like what she does for a living as an actress. But it just never would occur to me to do anything else. Like, I was always just like, well, fuck yeah, I'm stoked for you to, for that we're here. And, like, I couldn't imagine ever being... Because I know what you're saying. That weird subconscious jealousy that I definitely feel, but not with her somehow. Like, I'm not, I'm not pretending that I'm, like... I've transcended that. But for some reason with her and I, it doesn't exist. Yeah, I read a couple of interviews with you on the way up here. And every conversation, you seem to be you seem to be pretty at peace with where you are, like pretty happy, pretty mindful that you've gotten to where you are in your career. I mean, I think that anyone who wants to make creativity or art they're yeah. living, you have to be of two minds at once. On one hand, you have to constantly recommit to being present. And when you're playing the Beacon Theater in our case, or the Ryman in our case, or opening for ELO. Radio City. Yeah. yeah. Like, like it's important for me to, like, be to, to, to stop and say, like, make sure you digest this. Make sure you're you're experiencing this. How do you do that? Typically, like, a moment alone, whether I'm, when I'm, like, walking around the venue, like, maybe before sound check or something. Are you a meditator? Uh, uh, no, yeah. I should be. I get off and on. Mm-hmm. I've, I tried, and I'm, like, I'm an anxious person. It's difficult for me to really focus, but I found that it's useful. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, the times that I've done it, I feel like I'm such a anxious sometimes, so I yeah. get caught up in them, rather than reminding myself that it doesn't, there's no right way. Yeah. I feel like you have to be of that mind, of allowing yourself to enjoy the things that you've set out for. But simultaneously... You have to, like, while you're playing that Beacon Theater show, or even if, if it's Bowery, whatever it is, the thing that you envisioned as a goal, while you're experiencing that and you're accepting that and you're allowing that to, to you're, you're enjoying it, to also be like, but now I want to go play Jones Beach. And now I want to make a 10th record and a 15th record and a 20th record. And, and I think that that ambitious side of things or that, that side of self sure. shouldn't be negated. It shouldn't be uh, shamed. And, and I think for a long time I did shame it. I would sort of like, how dare I want more than what I have because I'm one of the luckiest guys in the world that plays acoustic guitar and writes lyrics for a living. When we were growing up, there was people tossing the word sellout a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not like, a thing anymore. There was that notion, and I've talked to a lot of bands, especially um, we had a Sean Nelson from Harvey Danger on the show. And, you know, there's just this mindset of there's certain things that you wouldn't do because it was like selling out or wasn't punk enough. And that, that ended up ultimately being kind of an inhibitor on their career. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I also think that you got to conduct your career the way you conduct yourself in a conversation. And if you're the kind of person that honestly, like if you were to say like, hey, man, like I'll give you like 20 bucks if you like wear this this cool t-shirt for the rest of the day that you actually like yeah i'd be like fine I'm, <laughs> i don't i'm not gonna feel ashamed of that i'm not gonna feel like i'm selling out it's just who i am and some people would like turn up their nose at me but that's just like the way i am i don't know so i think like the selling out thing is so weird because people would have two different caps on on one hand they would want to go buy the ferrari but on the other hand they wouldn't want to help sell the ferrari i'm never going to be able to afford a ferrari so i don't have to worry about that yeah. specific example but but it is weird how this concept of selling out like almost perverted itself because you 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 had to conduct your life in this very above it all pretentious way where like it was the Acting most like you pure weren't enjoying form. yourself and... and then and then at the same time be the person that like I need to get paid how what are we doing so we can get paid yeah. and like that's why like certain aspects of like pop music or hip hop culture I think is fucking awesome because they they do embrace that like I I am gonna sell this 
this um this vodka to you or whatever it is like because and 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 I'm going to own it and when I own it you're going to receive that information as pride and and all of a sudden then it's like this is great whereas like you see a indie rock star like hey please buy ford cars like it's like oh this is awkward yeah. for them and for me and i think it's so much of just how how you embrace it you don't make abrasive music you don't make right. purposefully alienating music and i say this in the best way possible but i feel like i could play one of your records for my dad and he would be super into it yeah i mean it's we've, we've got we've heard that a lot <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure at this point it's not weird for you to hear and <laughs> and certainly the comparisons that you get are i'm not going to name any names because you've heard them like a million <laughs> times before but are sort of older bands yeah. so there's nothing that you're doing that's obviously purposely alienating anyone yeah i mean I, again it's a, a, like like we said like how you kind of con- conduct your pr campaign i feel like you got to conduct your your art as a representation of yourself and yeah. i'm not someone that i've never had that rebellious streak i've never had that avant-garde for the sake of itself kind of attitude like for me the music i've always drifted towards is what can i understand when john prine or warren zevon yeah. the way those guys will put words together where it's a very complex emotion and yet presented in this very like are are we understanding each other but Warren Zevon's an interesting example because he was a cynical motherfucker totally but he but he's clear and sure he'll talk about entropy and like certain funny words that'll end up in his lyrics but it's never obtuse for the sake of itself he's never losing you he's cynical but he seems like he trusts you to keep up and I feel like there's an inherent respect there yeah and so for me he's not talking down to you yeah he's not talking down to you he's not elusive he's not giving you puzzles to solve and frankly I love that kind of music too he did the basement record like obviously you love Dylan and he's yeah well, he's, and he's he's he's, to... he's all of them. Yeah. He's, he can yeah. be the narrator, narrator, and he can be the elusive wild man that you don't really can't put a finger on. For me, when I've sat down to write songs, anytime I have tried to like understand that approach of like mid sixties Dylan or Burroughs or whatever, like that's that's not what comes out of me. For me, I would much rather have me play you a new song. And for you to interpret it the way it was intended, artist, rather than me talk about cotton candy. And for me to be like, make it that what you will. I dig that. Actually, like whenever artists are like that, I kind of like salivate. But I don't But I don't have it in me. So I guess maybe that's why I've ended up being a little less, like you said, like aggressive or, or alienating. You could try for abstraction, but it wouldn't feel true. As of right now, yeah. yeah. I mean, I try to stay my open to to new phases of how I write. I don't want to get locked in. And sometimes I feel like talking about it can't lock me in. Like even something as simple as saying, which I said for years, uh, like I don't write on tour. It was less of an observation and it became a rule or it be- actually became a cop out. It allowed me to fuck off instead of going to the back lounge and trying to write songs. But if I change that sentence to I haven't been able to write on tour, but I want to. I'm not saying anything different. It's equally as true, but I'm allowing something to be possible in the future and if i say now i can't write in these Burroughsian and yeah. avant-garde ways i'm using that as a cop-out to stay the same and i kind of want to continue to grow and change and become something different i mean just like any human being does you know i get the feeling that a lot of musicians and artists like baseball players are very superstitious if something worked really well if something produced you know your favorite album or your favorite song if a certain way of writing led to something that you're particularly proud of you perhaps want to go through those motions again you know if you find that writing on tour isn't very conducive to you producing good stuff then why would you write on tour yeah but the truth of that statement's always changing yeah for a while i couldn't write on tour if i did i didn't like it and then i wrote some of my favorite songs on tour like i wrote half of our last record on tour and th- at that point it's like well it's true and it's not some like i can write good songs on tour i can write bad songs on tour i can write sure. good songs at home i can write bad songs at home so it's just it's just a matter of being open 
And also, I think we have a tendency to create comfort zones for ourselves. Yeah. Like even something like in the studio where we think like, well, I want to play the best lead guitar that I possibly can. So I'll go ahead and set a whole day aside where we don't do anything except play a, a lead guitar. And I'll sit there in the chair and I'll just do one song at a time. And in fact, like nothing is less inspiring than that kind of approach for me. But it sounds on paper like it should be a lot easier and a lot more comfortable. Like, well, now if I screw up, I'm not letting anybody down. Whereas when I'm in the room on the floor with the guys and we're doing the take and everyone's looking at me like, here comes the guitar solo and I don't know what I'm about to play, but then I play something, I always like that better. And so does the rest of the band. It's like sometimes forcing yourself out of certain yeah. comfort zones is what's going to allow you to do your best work. Even though I feel like we all spend our whole lives curating those comfort zones and figuring out how to be less in danger at all times when sometimes like putting ourselves in danger creatively is what's going to bring some real out of us. Do you find that you need to sort of set schedules, set deadlines, things like that? Do you ha- do you have a routine in order to actually be productive? I romanticize about routines. You romanticize about routines? I mean like I think to myself like, oh man, I'm going to go home after this tour and first three hours a day I'm going to make coffee and work on songs and that's what my first three hours of every day is going to be. That's how crazy, that's like how and crazy I've- like backwards like your life is to everyone else. Like I romanticize about routines. Like I'm, you know, I'm on the road i'm opening for e- fucking elo well i'm not <laughs> bummed to be out here there's always you know i hear about how other contemporaries or, yeah. or 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 friends are doing i constantly am feeling like i could be working harder i feel like that's probably like a mantra creative people just hear and and it's and it can be negative you gotta sometimes give yourself a break and allow yourself to accept yourself for as hard as you work and i mean we've made six albums since 2009 i mean i'm we're, we're we're fine. But I still am like, man, like I should have 10 songs right now instead of three. I should have 18 records instead of six. You know, like it's just that line of thinking is never not available to you. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I think that that's a place where being competitive is is actually productive. I'm a writer professionally. If I if I read something, even if I like read a, a tweet that I wish I had written, I kick myself for not having written that. Tweets are especially strange. But you hear a song and you're like, God damn. Like, oh, yeah. I should have written that thing. Yeah, and that's a hard thing to get up to get caught up in too, is because yeah. then you lose a sense of yourself. Like so many contemporary writers, I'll hear, and if I get caught up in it enough, which is a good thing, and I should, I will start to wish I wrote not like them, but just exactly that song. And then it's no longer me. Like I'm not going to write songs like people that I love. I'm not going to write a Nick Cave song when I can kind of soberly talk about it i know that i don't want to do that and yet when i'm in the throes of an incredible nick cave record hitting myself in the head you know i feel like it's always hard to know where that line is of being being inspired but recognizing that that's not you and applying it to yourself as much as you can to like write a tweet that you do are are, you are proud of or you are or, or you do feel represented by but that you um but that you're you that you're sure is representative of you and isn't just you ripping someone because like they're smart and you wish you were smart as them i swore i wasn't gonna mention it before but the five thousand times somebody mentions jackson brown to you granted there are way worse people in the world to be compared to yeah. you but it's like oh, maybe i should just go climb a mountain and then write, yeah. you know right try try writing something just completely different well the funny thing is i keep doing that and like i don't i don't think you keep telling yourself to no no i mean like honestly like like it was funny i read some jackson brown dodds thing the other day and um i think at times actually then, interviewed jackson brown yeah, about yeah. you which is which which means the world to me. Yeah. I mean, I love Jackson. He's become a friend. And I don't mean to sound like a doofus when I say that. Like I love him and I'm and I'm and I'm honored to know him and and yes, he was a big influence on how I learned to write songs. But right when I read that article the other day, we went we we started rehearsal and we played Feed the Fire, Telescope, Mistakes We Should Have Made, Living in the Future. And I was like, I'm the last I'm the last person that's objective about Dawes. I understand that. But I also am like I don't understand 
why people say this sounds like Jackson Brown. Whether it's from a window seat, when my time comes, most people, things happen. Like, these just, to me, like, I just can't hear Jackson Brown in them. Even the more folky songs, like, Now That It's Too Late Maria or All Your Favorite Bands, blah, 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 whatever. Or anything off We're All Gonna Die. Like, to me, it's just like, Dawes doesn't sound that way to me. And I'm either missing something about the connection of what Jackson Brown sounds like and what we sound like, or it's an easy target. Yeah. And people want to continue hitting that easy target because then they can turn in their assignment and be done talking about sure. <laughs> The name of the podcast is R-I-Y-L, which, you know, if you know, like, college radio at all, it's that label that you put on the front of a record to be like, oh, this sounds like Nirvana. It's like an easy shortcut. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a way in for people. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's like if you enjoy this certain thing, like, this might be for you as well. Yeah, and we have a lot of Jackson fans that like yeah. But then we have a lot of these people that are like, Dawes is just regurgitating something that existed. And it's like, man, I just... Okay. Do you read the reviews when it um, all comes out? I'm getting better and better at that. At, I, I at doing to. it or not doing I, it? I'm not doing it. I used to. I mean, the, the 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 way I look at it is that, and this might sound arrogant, but like I just feel like this is how you have to be as a creative person. But the bad ones are gutting. And also it gives them power they don't deserve. Because like, no offense to all you critics out there, but like if we were pals, like, they probably wouldn't even think that, which makes throws the whole thing out of whack. You're like, this isn't an objective thing. Sure. I um, mean, we all know we're bringing also, our own baggage yeah, to it or like whatever exactly. happened to us But also a like a, a critic gets to not have to say that. But like, they just kind of get to rip or, or love or whatever they want to do. Anyway, they're giving it as much thought as they need to. God yeah. bless them. They have a lot of work to do. I don't blame them for like not living with a Dawes record. They shouldn't. They, they, um, but But at the same time... I don't want to give them any authority over my thoughts on what I do, what my life is. This isn't just like a thing I did. This is my fucking life, you know? Do you ever feel like you've read one and it's and it's actually given you some insight that you didn't have into your own process or songwriting or not really. No, okay. <laughs> I mean so not it sounds like it's not worth it for I you. I mean, well it's like it's like the bad ones will hurt if I if I let them. And then yeah. the good ones are frankly never good enough. If you're like that voice inside of anyone who's a, cre- a creative, whether you whether you write in prose or whether you're writing songs, like I know it sounds crazy, but like everyone wants to just be the best. And like sure. that, and that's I mean, that's why I love basketball. It's one of the many reasons why I love basketball so much is because there is a complicity with that desire. Like you talk to like the like third point guard off of the Orlando Magic or something and he's like, I'm going to win MVP next year. And it's like, holy shit, no one even knows who you are. They all have that. They all share that language. And it's like, like that's someone who's free. That's someone who's a lot. Because I mean, I want to say that about myself. Dawes, like I know two things at once. I know that Dawes is not going to win best artist of the year ever but at the same time that is always the goal i mean it's like i'm not dylan i'll never be dylan but i always want to be better and i won't and i and so it's like it's it's just those two things are are always working at the same time so that's what i mean when i say they're never good enough because if you're a writer then you're creating this like this catalog of, of work that that you feel like represents you it's like it's it's like you know you're chasing for some sort of life after death it's like it's you're 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 trying to reconcile yourself with the fact that you're gonna die and what do you have to say for it so in that sense it's like well this better be fucking good and so I don't mean to say like they're never good enough. Like people don't get how good I am. I don't think that. I think people give me too much credit often. Dissatisfaction can be a motivator. Obviously, you can't get caught up into it, and it, and it can lead to depression. But not being completely satisfied with what you've done in the past is part of the things that that drives you to make something better. I think true satisfaction with what you've done will be the last thing you ever do, as it should. I mean, like if I if there was any Dawes record where I said. 
holy shit, we did All right. it. All right. Yeah. Good I, job, guys. Let's, <laughs> let's go home. We're done here. We did it. We and like then then it would be fair for us yeah. to be like, why would we ever do it again? And I don't think that that's an impossible thing for your own criteria. Obviously, you're never going to please everybody. But if 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 I think that there is a version of enlightenment that allows you to get away from that creative ambition. I, I I never I don't even know if I want it. I mean, that's what that song on our new record Feed the Fire is about, where the lyric is trying to feed the fire while hoping that it dies, trying to recognize like this is something about me that I'm concerned about the implications of the fact that I want to get on a bigger stage, the fact yeah. that I want to be on more radio stations, the fact that I like need some sort of validation or affection or or whatever from people I don't know. So on one hand, I'm recognizing that I need that. And I think anybody that's like um, making something has that, whether it's a three pointer or a novel. And then at the same time, wanting to constantly shed myself of that ego and wanting to constantly feel like, how can I get to a place where I'm enough? And I love myself regardless of whether we sell zero tickets or two million tickets to a concert. So that's like and that's the dance that I feel like everyone has to do. And most times it's very convenient to just ignore that conversation. But Sometimes you kind of have to like reckon with it. As an indie folk band, I don't know if like you you are cool with that label. Sure, but that seems yeah. to generally just yeah. be. Do you feel like there's a ceiling on what you can do in terms of popularity? Obviously, we're in an age where hip hop, electronic music, like these are sort of the big zeitgeist yeah. things. Yeah, I think there is a ceiling, but also then there's then there's things that happen every so often where it just kind of like me being hopeful that like okay, oh, we want to go be hosier or or do what Mumford and Sons did or something. I feel like that would be the equivalent of me like playing the lottery for a living and that yeah. just being my job. Like I just like at some point it's just uh, just being disappointed every single time it doesn't happen. Too. Yeah, and that's and I don't and I'm and I would never want to be and I'm not. You know, we toured with Hosier and I got to be pretty close buds with Marcus from the the new basement tapes thing. And there are people, there is no one that deserves it more than those yeah. folks. So when it does happen, it's always like hell yes. And that's one beautiful thing about the music community. When I see someone who's amazing kind of just fly up the ranks overnight or or not overnight, it seems as though people can't resist where credit is due like when people see father john misty playing the yeah. hollywood bowl it's just like yeah and he deserves yeah. to be because he is all that and jason isbell is all the things that like people are giving credit for being and so i'm sure they work harder than anybody i'm not like diminishing what they do and i'm not pretending like oh like other people are just as good as them i'm not even saying that i'm just saying that like for anyone who's a crazy success in anything that they do they recognize like some of this is just me being fucking badass at what i do and some of it's just me being really lucky i feel exceptionally lucky and I'm not playing the Hollywood Bowl anytime soon. That's another like reconciliation that I feel like we all have to do. But I do think the support system is incredible in, in the music world. There's If there is jealousy, it only manifests as people being able to be like, but you know what? They deserve to be there. There's a perception from the outside that it's it's incredibly cutthroat. I don't know. Maybe it's just my peers. Because, yeah. like, I mean, when I think about my peers, I think about Langhorn Slim and Deer Tick and, 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 and these guys that have just been just hustling they're grinding and yeah and and also we're all of a certain age now yeah and maybe for like young if i was like 23 years old and playing the same kind of music maybe i would justifiably be like get out of my way i gotta beat everyone else to the finish line but i i think you just learn how the game works eventually and you're like oh that's not how this happens and actually like this pie that you're talking about like my slice doesn't negate your slice. Sure. Uh, someone that likes me can love Langhorn and someone that loves Langhorn can love Dawes. And it turns out we can both win. Like that's one of the coolest things about um, art is that it's in, it's like by definition, not competitive or it shouldn't be. And so I think in that sense, like, like, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's a generational thing, our graduating class that like, that just doesn't bring that to the table anymore. Maybe we did. And I forgot, but I just feel like I also, 
like I've said over and over, I'm one of the luckiest people I know. I picked up an acoustic guitar to write songs that were six minutes long with like one too many verses. <laughs> and like I get to do it for a living. That's like the worst business model. Uh, like, hey, we're four white guys from L.A. that just want to like write folk songs. What do you think? I feel like most people would laugh us out of their office. To be able to have a chance to just have fun and like and 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 do what comes out of us naturally and for people to look at us and say like whatever happens to that band like that was on their terms that's we're extremely proud of that and 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 like i said just constantly grateful your dad's a professional musician so obviously like he's been through the grinder he's been through the rodeo before he's seen the downside of the music industry did he ever try to dissuade you from pursuing this as a career no not at all i mean he was always so he was our biggest fan from day one he was always so supportive and you know i mean he'd be the first to talk about but like he had his own relationships with with drugs and drinking and it was a different time I feel like like us being a band in like the 2000s and now and now into the teens and stuff. There's so many safety nets. There's hmm. so many bumpers. Whether it's a good manager or whether it's a big brother band or if it's just folklore, it was pretty clear pretty quick. Oh, if you want to do this for a living, yeah. you're not going to be these womanizing drug addict drunks um, because the shelf life of that is like a matter of days in some cases, and. So I think that, you know, like I do think that that rock and roll is having this identity crisis. And mm-hmm. in a sense, I do feel like it's kind of it's becoming a fringe kind of genre, like you, you even said yourself. And that's something that I kind of dig. But I think this identity crisis comes from like we've identified it so long with booze and with like with with hard drugs and with a misogynistic attitude. Like it's it's fucked up. And I'm not saying all rock and roll. I mean, I still love the bands that I fucking love. But there was almost like a celebration of some of those myths of like how many women did so-and-so and it's like it's gross but it's also part of what we grew up understanding what rock and roll was and now people are at, at least the pendulum is beginning to shift i'm not saying we're, we're anywhere close to there yet but like people are trying to be more respectful people are trying to recognize when they're being dicks people are trying to also like trying to recognize that people like Julian Baker and Phoebe Bridgers are the best, some of the best songwriters in the game. It has no idea. It has nothing to do with anything other than they're fucking incredible. And so like, I think it's, it's shifting in this beautiful way, but also with that shift comes like these constant jokes of, you know, Oh man, I need like my lipospheric vitamin C, or I need like, I need a good like ginger shot before my show. Like all that obsession with like nightlife and drug culture is now becoming the only way I can stay on tour for six weeks straight is by like maintaining this many hours of sleep and this much butter in my coffee. And like, that's becoming, I'm hoping, that new face of rock and roll and sure it's much less like dangerous but it's also just like it's it's something that suggests a life rather than some romantic myth reading that bruce springsteen book he's just like yeah i didn't really drink i didn't really party i wrote i took care of myself i worked out a lot and i wrote epic songs it doesn't diminish the mythology of bruce springsteen in fact it in fact it only makes him feel that much more of a of a enlightened human. He's like the ultimate rock and roll grinder. I mean, obviously, like, he has a lot of talent, but some people just seem like they coast on their talent, and he wouldn't have gotten, you know, a fraction of where he got if he wasn't grinding it out every single day. Yeah, and he's and there's no there's no put on about yeah. him being like, well, and then I was like this bad boy for a while, and then I was that bad boy. He just wasn't a bad boy. Yeah. And, and it turns out none of us care. Turns out we love him more for it. And I think that bad boys are so typically scared of like letting the world know that maybe they're not one. And like, and Bruce Springsteen, the man of all men, it was able to just kind of like burn through life as just being a good dude. Mm. Or so, or so that's the, that's the impression I'm getting. I think that's so exciting yeah, for not only rock and roll, but just like, just being a human. I think like so much, I kind of deal with this as like a songwriter sometimes. Sometimes I write a song and 
if I wanted to pick a fight with my song, I would be like, well, it's very earnest. And and sometimes I have to just kind of hang my head and be like, yeah, it is. And you know what? That's who I am. Like, that's what this conversation is right now. That's like the more that I'm willing to accept that about myself, I feel like the more relaxed I can be. Do you feel that you've become more earnest as you've gone along? Maybe not as a writer. I don't know. Um, but I think less as a writer. Like, I don't know if I'd be writing a song like Love Is All I Am yeah. now. But I do think as a person... I'm willing to shed those fears of cool guy disease. That's something that you, I, I assume, especially early on, that you, you fight against when you first start writing songs. When you're a teenager and you do wear your emotions on your sleeve, there's an inclination to be earnest. But it's you try to fight against sort of falling into some of those cliches of, of sort of writing another love song. And, that, and that's that's one of the things I think that pushes people in the direction of being more cryptic. Yeah, and I, but also when we were making our new record, Password, there's a song on there called Never Gonna Say Goodbye, which is a pretty unapologetic love song to my fiance. And there was a funny story about it where she like she busted her face open. I was out of town. She like hit her head on the shower. This is not funny so yeah. far. I'm just going to go on the record as saying that. <laughs> it's hilarious. Okay. That was the end of the story. No, um, but... Uh, she like hurt her. She hurt, hit her head in the shower, and she um had to go to the hospital. It was yeah. bad, but it was also like not bad enough to where she needed to call an ambulance. That would have been a little much, but it was too bad to drive herself. But it was also too bad to get in an Uber. A friend came and um and picked her up, and everything worked out. But like, but I felt so helpless. I felt like I was like, oh man, I'm so far away, and I wish I could be there because that's what you want to do for the person that you love this this it was hurting you know i was like i obviously my thoughts were just with her and i didn't want to make it about me but at the same time i was like man I should be there at a moment like this yeah. everything obviously ended up being fine and she got like a couple stitches and she was good within a couple of days and all that but and and but that night while she was at the hospital or not well, it didn't mean a hospital just a just a doctor that was able to open his doors late i wrote this song never gonna say goodbye because i felt that was my only way to deal with the fact of how i was feeling of of not being there and yeah, I, I guess what I meant when I said it was funny is just that the song could come from such a kind of horrific moment. Horrific might be a strong word, but you know what I mean. And anyway, so then when we're recording for the record, I really had it in my head like this song's not going to be on the record. This is way too pillow talk between Taylor and Mandy. This is no one else's business. This is like how, you know, the way you look at the person that you love that like isn't yeah. for anybody else to see. That's how that song felt to me. When I told our producer, Jonathan, like I was like, this one probably should like kind of not be on there. Right. And he was like, no, no, that's why it should. It's because we don't hear that anymore because people are. People don't want to put those songs on the records anymore, and and they're afraid to to say that. Like, I mean, it is there is something terrifying about the idea of like standing up in front of like a room full of Dawes fans and pretty much saying, "I love the person that I'm in love with." That's that sounds scary. I don't know why, but it does. I think it would for anybody. Um, but when you do it, it's so freeing. Because then it's like, oh wow, look, I'm being myself, and I'm being, and, and everything's still okay, and the, the 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 building didn't blow up, you know. Like it's it's that's that's why why I'm hoping that earnestness has a like a fighting chance, you know. I feel like when, because otherwise the implication is that we have to lean more into like irony and and not caring, and that's kind of we're really good at that now. I think we're all very good at at um rolling our eyes and pretending like we couldn't be bothered and. So, but when you see the Bruce Springsteen's of the world, watching that Gary Shandling documentary was a big eye opener for me, but also following the rock on Instagram was a big moment for me. Like, and, and, and not, 
I know that sounds funny, but it's like not even as a joke. It was like, this is a person who is so thrilled to be where he is and he's sharing it with you. And he, when he talks about it, there's no, I'm an artsy fartsy actor guy that like is like, you don't know exactly what I mean or feel. And I'm too cool to seem that stoked on it. Like he's always like, I couldn't be more proud of this new project I'm a part of producing it with my good friends. I get psyched when yeah. I see him talk. Because of that part part of his attitude, which is like is a is a quality you find in humans, like unfortunately very rare. And so, like, I'm trying to understand how to apply that to my own life. Of like, oh, like I'm just gonna try to understand why Bruce and The Rock caring about what they say, how that can help me th- through today. And in some ways, this is a political album. You do touch on it, and I, I suppose in a sense, it's it's un- it's unavoidable now, right? Yeah, I and mean, it's just sort of there in our faces. But how do you wade into that? It's tough because most times with politics, it can be like if, if you and I were to just sit here yeah. and be like, what are our views on policies it would be really easy to just like okay this is when it gets binary and this is, when is you there just a turn fear it off. of like alienating half the audience it's not for the sake of like coming to a Dawes show yeah it's i could give a shit about that i'll happily talk about the fact that i hate our current president and that it and that i don't yeah. that i don't identify with what he represents a lot of people say like well he doesn't say those things it's like yeah but i feel like no, he says those things. Yeah, he yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's and it's not it's not difficult for me to go there, but at the same time I recognize that by simply going there, that doesn't do anything. Me letting people know I feel a certain way isn't going to help a conversation be conducted. So when I'm singing songs like Living in the Future or Stay Down um or especially Crack the Case, it's more with an idea of like how to communicate in mind. Like I feel like that song is more about thanksgiving dinner with aunts and uncles that that you don't agree with than the president trump sometimes and thanksgiving dinner is a good example sometimes it's just best to not talk about politics like there's a certain understanding that there are certain people in your life that you're not going to be able to have a civilized conversation you can still love them and in fact you'll probably love them more if you can talk about sports or the weather and i mean and i'm not pretending that like that I'm that I've figured this out because yeah. I have family members I don't talk about that stuff with. I'm very active about it. Like if they seem like they're gonna lean into that, I just bring it back out to you know how are your kids and your pets or whatever. But so so I do that. But I also feel like we should all never stop trying. Unfortunately, even if it's uh like you know a lost cause because I don't know what else our options are. Um, I don't I don't think that we can just simply give up on the idea of communicating with someone else. Because at that point, we're pretty much like giving up. And I think that this idea of like constantly being hopeful that there's a way to enter a conversation respectfully is kind of the only thing. And so that's what that song's about. Kind of what about what I have to say politically is about. Like all these songs, this record, whenever it comes to the political aspects, I don't think that me getting into specifics of my ideas on policy or 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 certain things that that were offensive and why or certain things that are blatantly racist and why like i don't know why like i don't that's going to do the same thing that the 24-hour news cycle does which is give someone else something to crumple up and toss aside it's it's just talking heads and like and it's and it's infuriating sometimes so i feel like getting to a place where you can do that terrifying thing and say this person voted for someone i could ever imagine voting for this person also has love in their heart this person also wants people to be safe and how do i reconcile those facts does that mean that i feel like or or like you know one example that that i got that i got kind of hung up on was like when i there was a uh podcast coal stories by the embedded folks um where it was about the coal industry in west virginia and how these people are like 
I can't. and when you listen to these stories, you're rooting for them. By yeah. the end of that podcast, I was heartbroken that the, some of these people who would hate me, <laughs> um, and 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 I understand why. The, for them to like, like I, I was rooting for them to be able to continue their their life as these coal miners and this family of coal mining. And so when you get to know these people, even remotely through some podcasts, um, and you and you consider what their response would be to someone saying, "Hey, what do you feel about?" I know you can't pay for your kid's school or, or dinner tonight, but what do you feel about like looser immigration policies? Like th- their, their, their ideas might be like, it, cause it's always wrapped up in yourself. That's where sure. we're all coming from. And so for them to say, well, that terrifies me because I can't take care of my family. And if I can't take care of my family, but you're asking me to be cool with this country bringing in more people, they feel directly threatened. Should they? In my opinion, no, they should not be to like, but at the same time, that's that's a conversation that I'd be willing to have. I don't need to res- reduce that conversation to, well, you're a racist and I'm not, because that's what a lot of people like doing right now. Ultimately, though, uh, what is the value of for, for you of wading into politics? I mean, even if it's in this sort of kind of a kumbaya, like let's <laughs> unite and against our differences or have these conversations. Obviously, you know, you're not going to be Billy Bragg. You're not trying to be Billy Bragg right. or Woody Guthrie or whoever. What ultimately is the value of even sort of addressing these issues in song? On one hand, you can ask that about any song ever written. Like, sure. What's the point? But I do think that with each record that we make or that anybody makes, there's this responsibility, at least as far as I can tell, to represent where you've been coming from the last year and a half or two and what's been on your mind. It's, it's part of that just sort of being honest with yourself. Yeah. I mean, like I look at every record as a place for as a time and a place for me to represent what's been going through my head for two years the time capsule and if i were to put out passwords with nothing about yeah. the thing that i probably talk about every other day if not way more like all of us i'm not any i probably talk yeah. about it way less than most people but but like I, if i didn't share that it would be like dishonest. pretty much dishonest and so i feel like for the sake of my honesty as a writer like well this has to be talked about and yeah i don't expect music to change the world i don't expect a song of mine to be any fork in the road but i do it makes me feel good to sing it and it makes me feel good to see it see people listening to it like the times that i've sung it in these last few weeks at some of these shows we're not really doing on the elo shows because it's you know with those you kind of have to like play the loud fast ones but um but when we play a song like crack the case at these uh headlining shows like people's shoulders drop like people like have a smile on their face that like there's a relaxation of like oh i can believe in a world that like might even be delusional but but i can believe in a in a in a world where we can like like i can talk to like my brother or or my aunt or whatever it is and and it's for that reason it's extremely cathartic to just sing and just to be in a room where it's being sung i don't i don't even have to be the one singing it um but I also am not – I mean I think art is such a personal experience. I think if there's any changing going on with art, it's a slow one. It's like if you discover Leonard Cohen at 18, I think Leonard Cohen's going to leave a mark. Sure. But I don't think it's going to be noticeable by the day you turn 19. I think it's going to be something that slowly guided you into a certain relationship with patience and a certain relationship with – consideration and like a a certain way to observe the world because he's so deep with all these things but i but i think it's but for for us to all to say like new leonard cohen's new leonard cohen records out like who's changed would be like would be unfair and unrealistic Mm -hmm. so i think like the music or the art that we immerse ourselves into 
are things that they they're they're planting little seeds and they need a long time to really show the way that they've redirected your outlook. How many shows have you done with the ELO so far? I think like eleven or twelve. I mean, you've been doing this for a while, but as somebody as like just as professional as Jeff Lynn is, a guy who like produced records for the goddamn Beatles, was a traveling Wilbury. Yeah. What have you learned from him? You know, he's it's weird. I mean, this this tour is incredible. But it's also like a certain, you know, he's 70 years old. Yeah. So it's not like he's hanging out. It's not like he's, yeah. like at this point, it's like he has a kick-ass band. They're doing an incredible job. He shows up. They play. He leaves. He's uh, not doing keg stands with you guys yeah, after exactly, the shows? Yeah, he's not, he's not like nitpicking anybody. He's just kind yeah. of doing what he does and getting out of there. But I will say like what we do take away is just the the body of work. I mean, he's doing, you know, he's doing the show that people want to see. He's yeah. doing these hits. and. They don't stop. Like, yeah. like, like people that so many friends of ours have come and we see them backstage and like, you're gonna stay for your love. Like, yeah, I, I think I know some of their songs. And then I'm, and then I'll like, be like, do you know this one? And I'll sing a little bit. Do or you like, have you ever seen a movie one? trailer yeah. in your life? And then, and then all of a sudden they recognize eight or nine songs yeah. and they know the whole show. And it's, yeah. and it's profound. And to see that kind of commitment to great songwriting and and also just like, I feel like sometimes songwriters, I mean, maybe this conversation up until now is like a good indication of this, but some songwriters can suffer from forgetting that what we do is entertainment. Yeah. And yeah. Jeff Lynn is, is such a great reminder of... He's not going out and saying, I'm not going to play Mr. Blue Sky again because I play that 10,000 times. He knows better than anyone else that on any given night, it's going to be the first and perhaps only time somebody will get an opportunity to see them. Yeah. He doesn't mind giving it to them the way they yeah. want to hear it. And so, like, he does Don't Bring Me Down. He does Mr. Blue Sky. He does Evil Woman. Evil he woman, does yeah. Living Thing. He, it just it, They just keep coming. And it's beautiful because you see a room of 10,000 people um, connecting and celebrating. And that's something that's rare. Are you, as the opening band who... I mean, you, you guys have achieved some notoriety, but I assume that like not everybody coming out to ELO show necessarily knows who oh, Dawes yeah, is. definitely not. Do you feel that you're making that connection? Yeah, um, more so than other tours. I mean, we we uh, the, we the, the, they, the shows start with that kind of attitude of like folded arms. What are we dealing with? You know, like pretty standard indie rock show, actually. Yeah, like they're like what, and you know, they're just like I'm not here for this. So yeah. what am I about to yeah. do, have to like strolling in halfway through the set? Yeah, and, and so they're like not necessarily on board right away. And so we play a couple songs. By the third song, they're kind of like enjoying themselves yeah. and re- reacting. And then by the end, they're on their feet, and it's been pretty consistent every single night. They're on their feet by the end, so it's so it's actually in that sense, it's been incredible because it's given us a challenge every night. Like, how do we win this crowd over? And um, and it's been so far, people have been really responsive. It's been we couldn't be we couldn't be happier with the way people have been responding. You sort of hinted at that you took something valuable away from this this trip to Africa that you went on. It sounded like you were suggesting that it was life-changing in a certain way. Are these life experiences something that ultimately have an impact on your songwriting, on your creativity? You're not going to record Paul Simon's Graceland, obviously. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm, I've never been a particularly available person like spiritually like i've never i've never like it's not it's like, interesting here because like again like you said like you're pretty earnest on record yeah i mean i i'll talk about how i feel to yeah. people that i i'll talk to strangers yeah. about it like it's I, that's what i do for a living yeah, in fact yeah, yeah. but um but i but yeah like there's a part of me that like you know like when we were first getting to the mountain mandy got all teary-eyed at, like just seeing the mountain and mm. i don't i don't have that yeah um by the end of the tr- the trip i did but i think it had more to do with just like a, just a basic respect for nature and a and a and you know just like your 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 small insignificant 
space on this beautiful planet. So it, I think it was along those lines. I didn't bring it home thinking like, oh, wow, I'm a, I'm a different person. But in the one sense that it, that it felt different was I can – we're more capable of – we're capable of more than we think. All of us are. And I think that it's very easy when we're kind of going through the humdrum of the day. Emotions. That, that's easy to forget. It's kind of the easiest thing to forget. Um, and then when you set out something for yourself that feels sometimes impossible, it's actually like rarely impossible. And that's something that that trip really like fucked me up with. Because then it was like, oh, I can do these things that I complain about not knowing how to do. I just have to stop saying it. There you go. That was Taylor Goldsmith of Dawes. They have a terrific new record called Passwords Out Now on Hub Records. Thanks to him for taking the time to do that. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. Please rate and review us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or on Spotify now, anywhere where you happen to get your podcasts. Like us on Facebook. If you have any feedback, it's rylcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. While Tumblr is still around, that that's rylcast.tumblr.com. And that's about all for this week, so stick around because we are going to be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL. <laughs>